Our scripture reading this morning comes from Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9 through 12. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. What are you paying attention to these days? Well, the answer is obvious. We're all paying attention to the circumstances going around, threatening us, threatening our security. We have the coronavirus threatening our health and life. We have social distancing and curfew requirements threatening our social lives and for some threatening job security. We have the threat of economic collapse that is leaving people's future financial security in doubt. Even the church is worried. What will be our churches, what will be, how will our churches be affected financially Since it is not easy to bring in tithes and offerings, what will be the effects of not meeting together for several weeks on church attendance? There are numerous disruptive circumstances that are demanding our attention in these unprecedented days in which we find ourselves. Fear, anxiety, and insecurity. These things hang like the yellow pollen coating everything outside this time of year. We're watching the news cycle, the 24-hour news cycle, to see what's next. What will be the next jolt to our already insecure lives? Well, the passage before us today, this prophecy concerning Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem on a donkey that is cited by Matthew and John in their gospel accounts, is a word and season for us just as it was for the people of Zechariah's day. Like us, the people to whom Zechariah ministered also were living in difficult, uncertain times where their security was threatened. Well, Zechariah began his ministry in 520 B.C. along with the prophet Haggai. Back in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army invaded Jerusalem and utterly razed it to the ground. They burned the temple and the palace buildings and demolished the wall around Jerusalem. The entire city was decimated. Many of the people were sent into exile. Well, fast forward to 539 B.C. when King Cyrus of Persia scored a great and decisive victory over the Babylonians, and Persia rose to prominence as the reigning world power. Cyrus was a a great diplomat, and in 538 B.C., 
he made a decree that the Jews should return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Now many exiles returned at that point, and in 536 B.C., they had rebuilt the foundation of the temple and the altar. However, the foreign inhabitants of the land surrounding Jerusalem were determined to stop the work. So they put every obstacle in the way of the rebuild. The people became frustrated with the work of rebuilding the temple. They abandoned the work for almost 16 years. They had become apathetic about the work. Following and worshiping the Lord were not way up on their list of priorities. Because of this, God sent a succession of of droughts and poor harvests, which led to hard economic times. Haggai, Zechariah's contemporary, said, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. A truly desperate description of their situation. Well, this was the situation that Zechariah and Haggai were addressing. A people whose circumstances were difficult, their lives were threatened, and they had grown apathetic about the Lord because they were so focused on their circumstances, just trying to cope with their daily lives. They were not paying attention to the Lord or to His temple. Well, we have difficult circumstances in our day and time. Are our circumstances so consuming us that we are taking our eyes off the Lord? Are we paying more attention to the news than to the Lord? Well, to the beleaguered people of his day and to us, Zechariah says, Behold your king and rejoice and shout aloud. Well, it's the same lesson that Peter learned when the disciples were going across the sea and they got caught in a storm. Jesus came walking to them on the water. And they thought it was a ghost and they were frightened, but Jesus identified himself to them. And Peter says, hey, if it's you, Lord, let me come and join you. And Jesus invites him to come out into the water. Well, Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, it says in Matthew, he was afraid and he began to sink. Well, obviously no one can see the wind. Peter didn't actually see the wind. What he saw was the effects of the wind. The howl of the wind, the strength of it against his body, the crashing waves all around him, the tossing boat. He began paying more attention to these circumstances around him than to the Lord. And he began to sink. Are you sinking today under the difficult circumstances you're in? Is the fear of your circumstances causing you to sink down? Well, what did Peter do when he began to sink? It tells us, Matthew 14, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, Peter looked to Jesus, 
And that's exactly what Zechariah is exhorting us to do today in the passage before us. Behold your king, he says, and rejoice greatly in him and shout aloud. Let us put Christ before our eyes this morning. Let us trust him in the midst of our suffering, all that is raging around us. And let us rejoice in him. So the first thing we are commanded to do, I want to, I've got two points today, and there are the two commands in this passage. The first point is going to be a very long point with several subpoints, and then the second point is going to be very short. But the first thing that we are called to do in the midst of our difficult circumstances is to rejoice greatly because your king is coming. Now, Zechariah, when he delivered this prophecy to the people living in Jerusalem, when he said, Behold, your king is coming, well, the people didn't pull out their lawn chairs and, and stare out into the horizon expecting a king to ride up on a donkey. No. Zechariah is just reminding them of God's promise that God had been promising them and reinforcing to them ever since the Garden of Eden. Ever since God told the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God will raise up a hero, a redeemer, a king from the line of David, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. And he will make everything that has gone wrong since sin entered the world right. He will make it right like God intended for it to be. Zechariah is merely saying to the people, God has not forgotten his promise of the king. God has not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. The king is coming to you. Trust his promise. Rejoice that he will come. Now, Zechariah reminds them of, of what this promised king is like and what his kingdom will be like. First, he says he is coming to you. Notice that verse 9 announces good news that your king is coming to you. He is your, your king and he is coming to you. He is coming for your sake. He's not coming for his own sake. He is not like other kings, earthly kings, who rule according to their own whims or for their own advantage. His kingdom is for the benefit of his people. Don't you long for a leader like that? So many of our leaders are self-serving, and it's a sore subject with many people in our nation today. These people who are in leadership positions take advantage and only serve themselves. We long for someone who will take up the cause for the people, and that's what Zechariah is saying the coming king will do. He will be for his people. He is coming for them to help them. And he is, says he is righteous and has salvation. Behold, your king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he. He is 
righteous or just or lawful. He's coming to make things right. Everything that is wrong with the world happened because Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Sin was introduced along with it death. Sin and evil and rebellion against God causes so much woe in the world and in our lives. The earth is in bondage to decay and disease and death. This is not how God intended for life to be. Jesus is going to make it right. He's going to restore it, restore us back to the way that we were in the Garden of Eden, even better than that. He will save us, it says. He's, he's bringing salvation. He has salvation. The word means deliverance. It has the idea, the Hebrew word, of being in a wide open space, of freedom, as in not bound in prison anymore. He's delivering us. We're free. So the king comes bringing righteousness and salvation. And he is humble. Now the Hebrew word means to be poor or lowly or afflicted, impoverished even. This particular king does not have wealth and resources like earthly kings who come into power. He doesn't have armies and weapons at his disposal to enforce his rule. No. He has divine power at his disposal. He doesn't have to be wealthy. And that poverty is reinforced in the, in this, in the next phrase. He will come riding on a donkey or a colt, the foal of a donkey. A little donkey, a young donkey. Now this sets him apart from other kings. No king looks like this. Usually a king comes riding in on a white horse with power. But this is unmistakable. A king that comes riding in on a colt, a donkey colt, is a memorable king. And of course, Christ fulfilled this when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, verse 10 tells us that God speaking, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from, and from the river to the ends of the earth. John Calvin comments on this. He says, he means, in short, that the Messiah's kingdom would be safe because God from heaven would check all the rage of enemies so that however disposed they might be to do harm, they would yet find themselves held captive by the hidden bridle of God so as not to be able to move a finger. The Messiah's reign is going to be one of peace. He speaks peace to the nations. It's not violence. It's peace. Not only in Jerusalem, but the whole world. His reign will be universal. We have the promise of the world at peace under the rule of Christ. Something to look forward. Our lives are in turmoil. We have that hope of a future in Christ in a kingdom of peace. Well, verse 11 is a wonderful verse. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. God is reminding them that through, that those, that through Zechariah that he has made a covenant with his people. He has promised to be their God and that they would be his people. 
He has repeatedly confirmed this covenant, this promise, throughout their history. Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets. God keeps his promise. And that's what Zechariah is reminding us today. Because he is in covenant with his people, because he has bound himself by blood to his people, it is guaranteed that, as he says in verse 11, that he will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now, a waterless pit. Think of a a deep cistern, but without the water. A pit. Now, if someone threw you down into it and left you there, you would die. You would die of thirst. You'd be in a hopeless situation. That's what's being described by this metaphor. The people in Zechariah's times were in a seemingly hopeless situation. At least they believed they were. And God is using Zechariah to remind them that they have hope. Hope for future. Hope for eternity. And in our desperate circumstances, as the people of God, we have hope. Their covenant God is our covenant God. He will be our God and we will be His people. He will deliver us from all His and our enemies. Well, the night before He died, Jesus said, This, when He took the cup and He gave it to His disciples, He said, This is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, we have an even greater guarantee than the people of Zechariah's day. Christ has died. He has shed His blood so that we might be His people, so that He would be our God, so that we might be delivered from sin and from death and from destruction. We have hope. So we are to rejoice. Our King is coming to bring His kingdom to fruition. Well, that's in the future, right? As it was for the people in Zechariah's day. 500 years would pass before Christ would come the first time. How does that help us in the meantime? How does that help us, this, this thought that we should rejoice in our King, that He's going to come one day and, and save us and deliver us and be with us? How does that help us in the midst of a coronavirus crisis, in the midst of our financial problems? Well, remember what I said at the beginning of this point. Did the people of Zechariah's day sit out on their lawn, staring off into the distance, waiting for a donkey-riding king? If they did, they would be sitting there for 500 years, because that's how long it took for this promise to be fulfilled. What did those people do as Zechariah and Haggai prophesied to them and encouraged them in the Lord? Well, they went back to doing God's work. And they worked on the temple. The work that had fallen by the wayside, their commitment to worshiping God as He had instituted in His Word, they got back to work on that. It's kind of like when Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, He appeared to His disciples for 40 days afterwards. And they came together there in Jerusalem And Jesus ascended to heaven. Well, before he ascends, 
They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they were looking forward to that kingdom. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what did the disciples do after that? Well, they went about doing what God had called them to do. They were his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What about us? You know, when I tell you that uh, there's a coming king, behold your king, and, and I tell you all the wonderful things that he's going to institute in his kingdom, I'm not telling you to stare up into the sky waiting for, God, for, for Christ to return, but I want you to remember this. Rejoice, because God has revealed to us his plan here in Zechariah and throughout his word. He has a king who will come for us. He is going to make everything right. He is going to deliver us. He is going to transform the world. This is our ultimate destiny. Yes, we we will die unless the Lord returns. But that's not the end. Death has even been defeated by our king. If God is for us, who can be against us? We don't need to fear people who can kill the body or fear diseases that can kill the body. But we need to fear God, to respect God. Well, how does this help us in the current crisis, in the storm of our circumstances, looking to Jesus? Well, remember Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He rose to power and he was uh, one day strolling uh, on his palace rooftop and he thought about how great his kingdom was and he was patting himself on the back mentally about how he had built this thing and then God humbled him. God drove him into the desert and he lived like a wild animal. His hair grew out, his nails grew long. Well, note how Nebuchadnezzar related his experience in Daniel 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Michael Horton comments on this in an article. He says, as Nebuchadnezzar discovered, we recover our sanity when we lift our eyes to heaven. 
we're back in line with reality. We're not in charge and never have been. We can't create or save ourselves, but we have been created and saved by God in Jesus Christ. Now we can see the needs all around us, our own and those of our neighbors, and the creation as opportunities rather than threats. We want to play our part in curbing the spread of the virus. We are called to defend the life of our neighbors, especially the most vulnerable, the unborn, our aging elders, the poor, orphans, widows, and all victims of injustice. We are called to be good stewards of God's creation. But this is because we fear God rather than anyone or anything else. See, Zechariah gives us perspective, the long view of life, just as he gave the people of his day. They trusted the Lord, and that caused them to get to work. That, that caused them to seek to live for him on a daily basis. Didn't mean that their sufferings were solved all at once but it meant that their eyes were on the Lord, trusting Him from day in and day out. So rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Him, not in the fleeting things of this world, not in your health or your bank account. Find your joy in Him. That's the first command that Zechariah gives us. Now briefly, the second one is that we need to return to your stronghold. Return to your stronghold. Verse 12. It says, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. When he says, Return to your stronghold, well, what is he talking about? Jerusalem was in ruins. There was no wall around Jerusalem. It was hardly a stronghold. It was a, a pile of rubble with a few raggedy houses in it. And there was no temple built. So that can be the stronghold. No, what he's talking about is himself. God is their stronghold. God was present with them. Return to the Lord. And that is the overwhelming message of, of Zechariah and Haggai, calling the people to return to God. Notice he calls them prisoners of hope in verse 12. They were prisoners at the moment. Metaphorically speaking, they were trapped in some difficult circumstances, much like we are, but they had hope. Why? Because there is one who will deliver them from the waterless pit, from their hopeless situation. One who will restore to them double. A king, actually the king. Put your trust in him. Today, let's pray together. Almighty God, we know that you may not completely deliver us from all our miseries just yet. In the meantime, please help us carry on a warfare under the banner of the cross until Jesus appears from heaven to gather us into his blessed kingdom. O oh, grant that we may patiently bear all evils and all troubles. And as Christ once for all poured forth the blood of the new and eternal covenant, may we never doubt that he will be always propitious to us and render to us the fruit of his reconciliation. Lord, support us under the burden of these miseries by which we are now oppressed. We look forward to that day when you gather us 
into that blessed and perfect glory which has been procured for us by the blood of Christ our Lord, and which is daily set before us in the gospel and laid up for us in heaven. Keep us until we at length come to enjoy it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.